0: Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We have uh, now run uh, through a series of of stories, some for which we did not hear from this pulpit and others that we did. Uh, But it began, uh, beginning in chapter 21, uh, this whole idea of Jesus in his healing ministry. Did you notice that? Story after story. uh, We heard that Jesus, how he healed the man that was demonized. How he healed Peter's mother in law. Right? One of the disciples, probably several, they were actually married. We also heard how Jesus cleansed the leper. In verse 40. So as we begin now to read in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, we discover this one truth. That anyone who has a need must respond to Jesus in faith. Anyone that has a need, uh, that they must respond to Jesus in faith. Verse 1, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching or he was saying the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So here we find out that the word of Jesus' ministry, that it continued to spread. Remember last time how we re- recall how Jesus wanted to keep it all a secret, right? Uh, for, uh, for a period of time. But even after all of that, word got out about him to the point that they were at this home and it was so crowded that there was no space for anyone to get in edge wise. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. I've heard some of your stories in which uh, you went to that one thumping box and there were so many people in there trying to dance. Uh, You call it the club, right? Uh, uh, That uh, this place was a place that you wanted to get in and that you didn't care how many people were there. Some of you have been to those places uh, that it was so exciting uh, that you could barely move once you got inside. Because you know that you wanted to get in there and jam and dance or whatever folks like you do in places like that. So the people they found out about Jesus... Uh, they followed him to the point that uh, there was no more room to get to him, not even in the doorway. But what was going on on the inside to the point where people crowded out this house? When well, me and my wife, when we were in Atlanta, we stopped by a mall to grab lunch. And when we were in there, we noticed that uh, there were this long, long line of people in the corridor. And my response is always, anytime I see long lines, is, you know, what are they giving away there? Because my thought is always, if if a line is that long, they have to be giving something away. Surely no one is paying to get what they have in that line. But no, uh, folks, they were just in line to get the latest iPhone. Go figure. Uh, We have seen this over and over again by now, right? We've heard the news stories. When people want something bad enough they will do whatever it takes even if it means standing in line overnight. If you want something bad enough if folks want Jesus bad enough they will stand in line all night to get him. You see sometimes uh, when we live in our life we uh, reach a place that we're all that and we don't need Jesus. And then There are those times that we know that if we could, we would be at that church every time the doors are open. It is in that place of desperation where we find this story today. So with all the action going on in general, the the Lord wants us to see what is happening in particular in this place. And we read here in verse 3, it says, and they came. And there came is a phrase that Mark employs here in this gospel more so than any other gospel writers to help us see that many folks were searching for Jesus. This is important for us to see because Jesus is viewed as being a servant in this gospel. And I want you to know that if you have been gifted with the spiritual gift of serving others, that there's nothing wrong with you, amen? It is important, however, that you not cover other giftings because that is who God has made you to be. So if God has made you to be a person who serves, guess what? Enjoy your giftings and bless people and bless God at the same time. But in the case with Jesus, uh, with him being God, we know that Jesus did all things well. Jesus was not only servant, Jesus was also king. Uh, Jesus was not not only king, but he is also priest. Jesus was not only priest, but Jesus was also prophet as well. So Jesus did all things well. Here in Mark chapter 5, verse 15, it says, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, it says, And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. You see, and they came and they come because they're searching for for Jesus. You see, when you reach a place in your life when you really want Jesus, you don't want entertainment. You don't want smoke and lights and action and all this other stuff. When you reach that place of desperation, there are times that you will come and the only one that you want is Jesus and him alone. So here we discover that there were four men carrying a man who was paralyzed. The original language tells us that they came on behalf of another they did all this not for themselves but they did it on behalf of someone else obviously that they cared about it's pretty normal that as you serve people uh, that oftentimes when you serve people well other folks begin to search you out you ever notice that in life if you know someone who really cares about someone else Other folks will search you out because obviously you have that heart of a servant and you want to help folks out. So because of the crowd, the men carrying the disabled man could not even get near to Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that, that you want Jesus so much that you can't get near to him? What do you do? Normally in crowded places, we know uh, there can be standing room only for the latecomers. Even standing room was filled to capacity here in this narrative. There was also, in this case, there was no disabled parking. Neither did anyone else seem to care that they carried a disabled person. It is really something, right? When you see uh, someone, they want something some, so bad, and then you see someone, they're carrying a disabled person, and they're trying to get help, and you look to that person and says, I don't care. I don't care. I, I don't care who's bringing them in on a stretcher. I don't care how they're walking. I don't care whether or not if they can see or not. It doesn't matter. I'm just trying to get here for myself. So what do you do? If you're paralyzed and you can't walk and and, and here is uh, your, your only hope in life and you can't even get to your only hope. But notice in our text, again, that no one offered their place in line to see Jesus. Neither did anyone make room for this man. Some of us could probably think we're better off than they are, but are we really? We think that we would do so, but I'm telling you that sometimes life just presses in on you so much that sometimes you can't see anyone else because you're just trying to get to Jesus for yourself. But then the next thing we notice is that Jesus, listen to this, Jesus responds to faith by forgiving sins. Jesus responds to faith by forgiving sins. Here, verse 4, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, what did they do? They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, he says, technon, he says, son, he says, child, your sins are forgiven. Would you do anything necessary, anything that you needed to do to get to Jesus? Or would you stand idly by and let everybody get to Jesus before you? So their response to not being able to get to Jesus is to remove the roof in order to make an opening. Now, if you're wondering, well, wait a minute, how did they get that ladder connected to the roof of that house? And here's this man laying on a stretcher and they climbed up this ladder in order to get him to the roof. How did that happen? Well, number one, remember that these homes were not made like our homes. Number one. Number two, well, how were they made differently? Uh, these ancient homes, they had a staircase on the outside. So if you wanted to go to the roof, you didn't have to go. There wasn't a staircase on the inside, but they built a staircase on the outside of the house. So what they did, they couldn't get in inside the door. So all they did was took the men and they just walked up the stairs to the roof. But wait a minute, but don't they have all the, the wooden beams and the steel and the this and the that on the roof? How could they actually dig a hole in the roof? Because, again, those homes are not made like our homes. At least some of our homes. Sometimes, I, one time I thought my home was made like those ancient homes. Water coming in, I'm like, oh my God. Right? And, and they would build their roofs simply using, maybe they have long sticks going across, but they were used like branches and mud. So these four men, they took him up these stairs and they began to peel back. In fact, again, the original language says they began to unroof the roof. That's what the original language says. So after they made this opening, They let down the man to the room where Jesus was ministering. But also notice that there was no hoopla about what was happening to the structure of the home. Uh, Can you imagine that? Jesus comes to your house, right? You already know there's going to be a crowd. You have folks everywhere, all on the block, they're all in your yard, and they're trying to get in. Then all of a sudden, you in there and everybody else in there, you're having a good time with Jesus, and you would say, here come this fool, tear my house up like, Jesus, come on, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be a respecter of persons? How can you allow someone to destroy someone else's home just to get to you? You notice that that Mark does not address that issue. Do you see this? That Jesus didn't say, how dare you, you sinners? You do not destroy, thou does not destroy another's properties to get to God. But it looks like Jesus didn't care. You see, this story is for us, telling us that if we really want Jesus bad enough, that we must do whatever it takes to get to him. In other words, what we see here and what God wants us to see is that material possession was not the focus of this gospel, that the focus of this gospel was Jesus himself. Our focus of the materialistic speaks to the culture we exist in and how it has, been, how it has hijacked our spiritual desperation. Here in verse 5, we see that Jesus, it says that he saw their faith. He saw their faith. This is one thing we must remember. It's very important to remember that God responds to your faith. I'll say it again. Let's try it again. God responds to your faith. God responds to my faith. As a matter of fact, I think it is so important. I think it's enough for all of us uh, to recite together, and it is God responds to my faith. Let's say it together. God responds to my faith. It is not one of those half-hearted attempts at getting God to do something spectacular for us or, or someone else that we know it is that deep down grassrootsness of the heart a faith that somehow the lord recognizes and considers it worthy of his attention so god looks at our faith and he says look there i'm going to respond to that faith well really really well hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 come on turn here you got to you got to move quick now hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, number one, must believe that he exists, and number two, that he rewards those who seek him. Do you get it? Number one, you have to believe that God is actually there. And then number two, what does it mean that he rewards those who seek him? Got it, God. What does it mean? That means that he answers according to your faith. So he will reward you. God rewards you. Let's read this together, please. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Come on. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I dare you to memorize that this week. I dare you. This again draws us back to Mark chapter 1, verse 40, where the man with leprosy told Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words, I have faith that you can do it. It all depends on you whether or not if you have the desire right now to take care of my issue. But notice that the passage says that Jesus saw their faith. But I thought that faith was a belief that could not be qualified through action faith being an inner trust uh, that we have in Jesus Christ the faith these men display was a faith that had an outward expression let's try it again so so the faith that these men had it manifests itself as an outward expression A faith that's only kept on the inside and never expressed on the outside may not necessarily be true faith. If you say that you believe in Jesus Christ and you live like the devil, that tells me you probably don't believe in Jesus. You see that? We demonstrate our faith in the Lord by gathering for church and Bible study. This is why we're here today. We demonstrate our faith when we take the Lord's table in remembrance of his death on our behalf. We show our faith when we pray for ourselves or when we pray for others and we pray to the Lord. Our faith is displayed when we are baptized in public in an outward fashion. Each time there is an outward expression of what we know Jesus has done for us on the inside, what happens is God recognized that faith. Because you see, you can say you believe in Jesus Christ, but if you never make any kind of step or statement or life change in your life concerning Jesus again, you may not be a believer. You say, yes, I have crossed the finish line of faith that I have believed in Jesus Christ and now I know that I am not going to hell. But is there more? But even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of of all that, the scripture says here back in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven that the healing does not come. Do you see that? Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, but was the guy healed? Okay, we'll, we'll find out. So we go to Jesus, right? Uh, our, 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 our pen in our hand, and we begin to write down our list like Jesus is our grand Santa Claus Right, And we're the ones that's writing our list and checking it twice. And we're saying that, God, I want this, and God, I want that, and, and Lord Jesus, please give me this. And then we, 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 we take our list before the Lord, and we lay it to the foot of the cross, and you say, Jesus, there it is, please take care of it. And then Jesus tell us, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. It's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I didn't ask you to forgive me of my sins. You see, Jesus, remember uh, that list I threw at the foot of your cross? Remember that list Jesus that I wrote it down and I checked it twice and remember I made sure uh, whether I was naughty or nice Jesus. Remember that list? No, you got it kind of mixed up. I didn't ask you to forgive me of my sins. What I asked you to do, I asked you to heal me. So, Lord Jesus, if I gave you my list and you're talking about something else, where is the disconnect? Do you even hear me? Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? It is a blessing that God gives us not what we are looking for because many times we don't even know what we need. Now, I'll say that again. You see, it is a a blessing that God does not give us what we are looking for, I would say, all the time, because most of the time, we don't even know what we need in the first place. Right? You've been there, right, dealing with kids. I would say some adults, too. And you know how much these kids love candy. And those kids would eat so much candy and if it was left up to them, they would never ever eat any more food in their life. You know what I'm talking about? We sometimes think about you know, all, the, uh, all the, uh, uh, the treasures that the kids would bring in on Halloween. I remember uh, on Halloween, we used to go throughout all the neighborhood. And sometimes, you remember the shopping bags when they were bigger than the shopping, the brown paper bags we have now, that I would go in our neighborhood and I would end up like two big shopping bags full of candy. Right? And I remember and my parents would tell me, what you going to do with all that? <laughs> and I would be like to myself, you know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm getting ready to dive into my sugar swimming pool. <laughs> See, if it were left up to us. We would do these things which are detrimental to ourselves. But see, God is our spiritual and our physical father. And he knows what's best for us. So even though we are begging for him, give me more candy, give me more candy. God looks at us and tells you, you need uh, green vegetables in your life. And the green vegetable which gives you life that will support you and that will not cause you to die. Uh, This is what I will leave on your plate. So Jesus he responds to their faith. <laughs> and here it is without question, right? As soon as you get it, right? Faith is a something thing. Hopefully the evidence of things not Seeing without faith, it is impossible to please God because those who come to God must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? You, you get all this down. I finally got it. Now I'm going to internalize it in my life. Lord, I got this faith thing, I'm ready to go, and I'm believing what you're going to do, and here it is. As soon as you begin to make a motion of progress in your life. Spectators, spectators express their disapproval of Jesus and your actions. They don't like what you're doing. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. See, They, they didn't say anything to anyone. You see, they, all this is, they, they're getting ready for Jesus. But in their hearts they were saying, verse 7, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So in other words, Jesus, you're trying to heal this man. We ain't even trying to hear that. Wherever you find truth, you will find dark forces waiting to stop it. And one sense, these leaders were falling back on what they had learned through Scripture. Oh, wait a minute, what? These leaders had actually... Learn you know, a lot of this stuff through Scripture and partially through their tradition as well. Come on, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. You got to move now. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58. Please flip in your Scriptures very quickly. And I'm reading now. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear his, this glorious and awesome name the Lord, or Yahweh, elohim your God. Then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. So God had Moses to tell these Israelites that If you end up sick, the reason that you end up sick is because you're living in sin. Right? Isn't that clear? And the bottom line is, you say, well, but we are under grace. You may be under grace, but a lot of times the stuff that we did years ago, uh, there's certain things that God said, well, we're going to just allow it to catch it up in your body. as simple as that. It's just, we're, you know, we, we live in sin and we, we accept all the things that the world has to offer and we get caught all up in it. And then when we finally realize, we're like, wait a minute, what am I doing to myself? What am I doing to myself? And then we turn around and it's like, well, you know, I'm not sure what we can do for you. Psalm chapter 41, verse 4. As for me, I said, "O oh Lord. Now remember, this is the connection between healing and sin. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me. Why? For I have sinned against you. Psalm 41 and 4. So we must remember that even after Israel had gotten kicked out of of their land and they had went to Assyria and Babylon and all these other places, that in a great sense they were still living in Old Testament times as best they could. But also, illness and being punished by a higher power transcend cultures. This is something probably most cultures understand. Uh, they, They begin to figure out when something goes wrong in my life, obviously it's because of something I've done, so therefore I need to placate God or this little God that I have. And if you can't see God, then what they start doing, they start making little statues and statuettes, and they put it all around themselves, and they make sure that they're good with the God of whatever is their God. And even Jesus' disciple, they still understood things to be that way as well. Come on, John chapter 9, verse 2. Uh, We need to see this and understand this and how this pattern is threaded all the way through Scripture. John chapter 9, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see that? In other words, it's saying that we realize that this man is blind, and we figured out the reason that he was born blind that he was born this way was because of what? Somebody did what? They sent. So even Jesus' disciples, they understood this line of thinking. And in fact, it is a mindset that we oftentimes carry with us today. We may equate problems in our life with a particular sin we may have committed, and wonder whether the Lord was just trying to get back at us. Lord, you're just trying to get back at me, aren't you? This was the grid in which these leaders were dealing with, number one, Then, because of their understanding of the Old Testament and tradition, they knew that only God could forgive sins. It makes sense. If we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, we understand that if they walk in disobedience towards God, the only one that would actually forgive sins would actually be who? It would be God. So therefore, if you wanted your healing, you need to get your healing from God, which means that you had to ask forgiveness from God in order to be healed. so if God could forgive sins then what was this Jesus person doing in this setting declaring that son your sins are forgiven who are you Jesus it didn't make sense to them so the problem is explained from the Jews point of view this way number one we already know this we already know this but number one Uh, If you sin, your sins need to be atoned for in the temple or in the tabernacle, right? You had to take whatever you had to take. You had to take it to the tabernacle or to the temple, number one. Number two, they understood that only God could forgive sins. Number three, Jesus, in their eyes, was not a priest. And then finally, number four, where is the sacrifice? You needed to have a temple or tabernacle. Uh, You needed to have a priest. You needed to have a sacrifice. And you needed to have God to forgive the sins. So you sitting up here, Mr. Jesus, saying, son, your sins are forgiven. Where's all this other stuff at? This is the problem. When you don't know who Jesus is, then you reject or dismiss everything that he does. When you don't know who Jesus is, you reject or dismiss every single thing that he does. And and what do you think all these messages have been about so far? Since we've started, this message is really not necessarily about us being healed. Do you realize this? Do you realize that all the messages that we have heard since the beginning of Mark, that they are really not about people's problems? You understand that? Uh, What these messages are about, who these messages are about, I'll ask you the question, what is it about? Who is it about? It's all about Jesus. And oftentimes we get so wrapped up in me, my, and ours, and all this other stuff, we still don't even know who Jesus is. So Mark, what he's doing, he's unveiling step by step by step by step who this Jesus is. Does Jesus have what it takes to heal? It's about Jesus. It's not about the healing. So Jesus, he asserts his authority and he heals. Verse 8, please. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Verse 12, and he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed. And look at the result here. They were all amazed and what happened? They glorified God. You see the end result of God doing something for you and me, the end result of any time that God does something for you and me is that God should receive the glory. We shouldn't just all of a sudden, because God does something for us, you say, Well, I know how you can get what you need to get. It is not a formula. It is all, guess what? It, it's all about worship. What do you think glorifying God is about? God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. What was that about? Was that about Adam and Eve hooking up and hooking up as many times as they can and having as many kids as they wanted to? Was it about them having these kids so they can give these kids the best in their life so they can live their lives? Was it about that? No. It was all about being fruitful and multiply and fill the earth because God was multiplying worshipers. God is multiplying worshipers. This is what this is about. Even the animals, even though they couldn't necessarily worship the Lord the way that human beings can, the fact that they would be fruitful and multiply and, and, and how they would expand on this earth that every time that they would show up that God would get the glory. Do you realize every single baby that's born, every single uh, little boy, a little girl that's born, there's the possibility of there's a new worshiper coming into this place. This is why they say that every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ that there's bells that ring up in heaven the reason that the bells ring in heaven is because they are making music to give worship uh, to the Lord in heaven every single time because of the potential of more worshipers coming to this earth that this pleases God so for Jesus it's no problem to forgive sins it's no problem uh, to heal in other words, he was saying that the most difficult thing there is to do in your eyes is to cause a person who has not walked to walk. But in the heavenly realm, Jesus was again pointing to himself saying that whether we speak of forgiving sins or telling someone to walk, that he is totally qualified as God. Totally Remember again that the Jewish people, that they equated physical and other problems in his life with walking in sin based on a combination of Scripture and I would say also traditions as well. If that were the case, then the Jewish leaders themselves, they would have been sinless and without problems. But boy, did they have problems galore. So Jesus, he makes his point. So even though he says, son, your sins are forgiven, and and, and the man did not end up walking, uh, this time he says, come on, get up, get up and walk. You see, I think uh, by the, uh, the scribes and them interjecting their heart into the picture. You see, there's a case, right? There's a case in which a spirit does not verbally express itself, but yet, it interferes with God's plan, so to speak. I mean, you can't really interfere with God's plan, but simply what I'm saying is that sometimes a spirit doesn't have to be spoken in order to be seen. You hear what I'm saying? I said again a spirit doesn't always have to be spoken in order to be seen. Come on! All right, you, you need to wake up if you can't see the spirit of folks. You simply can't hide it. And I tell people this all the time. You can't hide what your spirit is doing. You can't hide what the spirit is doing inside of what your spirit is doing inside of you. Can't be hidden. I don't care how much you try. In this pronouncement, Jesus definitively asserts his authority not only in overcoming the natural uh, with the power of the supernatural, but by overcoming the grip of sin by the power of his word. Son, your, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. Go home. This is why we must hold the words of Jesus so dearly. In his words, especially when we believe by faith, there is power to overcome any obstacle that may be in our way. According to God's word, if God's word is in it, that his word is strong enough to overcome any obstacle that's before you and I. Anyone. uh, How many did I say? Uh, Let's try it again. How many obstacles? Can the word of God overcome in your, in my life? There are, uh, he can overcome them all. In his words, especially when we believe by faith, there is power to overcome anything. If God's words formed the very worlds and existed everything therein that he has created, then his words can overcome any little thing that's in your life. You name it. What's on your mind right now? What's the problem child in your life right now? What is it? What is that problem child in your life right now? That Jesus possesses the divinity, the righteousness, the holiness, the power, the knowledge to say, be ye removed into the sea. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing, no thing is impossible for God because he is the God of the impossible. Nothing. So brothers and sisters, have faith. Have faith in God that he can move mountains. In either case, we come to the realization That Jesus is the only one uniquely qualified to defeat any issue that may be in our way. The problem that we have, though, with Jesus is sometimes it's the same as happened with the Jews because Jesus doesn't always operate at the same timing or do exactly what He wants Him to do. So, therefore, we sometimes falter in our trust. Our trust begins to fail. Some days we're feeling stronger and closer, while other times we feel so distant and, and it is so strange, we feel like God is not even there. Some days we feel just like this, right? We're interlocked with God. We can feel the Spirit and God is doing this and God is doing that. Then other days we feel like this. This is why faith is not based on your emotions. Either God exists or he doesn't. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Let's take your relationship with your, your husband or your wife or your children. Now, you know that some days you feel like, especially if you're a parent, that that kid is not yours. And I'm going to be honest. You just sometimes feel like, who is this person up in my house? But why do you let them stay in your house? Why? If they drive you crazy, why do you why do you let them stay in your house? Why? They're yours and you know that there has been a commitment and regardless of thick and thin that you know that child will always be yours regardless of how crazy they may act regardless of how fear how far in distance you feel from them one thing that you know and it is simply a fact that that child is yours so so if that be true if we feel one good one day and we feel strange and distant the other way We must not rely on our emotions to determine uh, whether or not if we're close to God. We rely on facts. And if God says that you are his child, if God says you are his son or his daughter, guess what? That is a fact and nothing can take that away from you. So we live according to the fact and not according to our feelings. Because you know, Your feelings going to change just like that roller coaster at Great America up and down, up and down and all around. And you may not always feel as saved as you did the first day you accepted Christ. You may not feel that way, but we rely upon fact. And the fact is that once your Lord and Savior has saved you, you have a relationship uh, in which you have a place, re- uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, that is reserved in heaven for you. Nothing can take that away. You can feel however you want to, but the bottom line is you continue to live for the Lord and you believe in, in what the Lord is, wants to do in your life because nothing, brothers and sisters, nothing, can take your relationship away from the Lord not even the devil so don't believe his lies he is the father of lies but Jesus has power and authority to engage in your life at any point the question is will we be like the men who are trying to get help for his friend who is paralyzed that they were willing to do anything to get to him. So regardless of where you are, you better believe that Jesus does have what it takes to get done whatever you need to get done. It starts by believing in him. <clears throat> it starts by trusting him. It starts with faith. Remember, in order to please God, that we must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But it starts with Jesus. Jesus. So, if Jesus has what it takes to heal you, forgive your sins, and to answer all of your prayers, then he has authority as the Son of Man in your life to take care of your issues. Does Jesus have what it takes to heal? Let's try that again. I'm not convinced. And you see, it's not just about healing. Does he have the authority to forgive sins? But 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 does Jesus have the authority to heal? Yes, he does. He has what it takes. And guess what, brothers and sisters as the son of man we find this in daniel chapter 7 Uh, read that later uh, that he has the authority coming on the clouds behold here he comes uh, riding on the clouds right right he has that authority as the son of man to take care of your issue the issue is will you believe him today will you believe him